uh, we're going to continue our series going through the book of Exodus. Uh, if you have been with us for a while, we've been in the book for a while. We've been in the book for uh, since January, and we're actually almost done. We're almost to the end of the book of Exodus, and we'll be in Exodus chapter 35 and 36 today. And then next week, we're going to be finishing up. We're going to take a big chunk uh, when it's talking about how they actually build the tabernacle. And we're going to take that big chunk and finish the book of Exodus and then come uh, that next month, was it, it's, it's August next month, we're going to start our next series going through the book of 1 Thessalonians. So uh, you can plan for that, start reading ahead if you wish. But today we're going to be diving into this section in the book of Exodus. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for who you are and how you love us how you have revealed yourself through your word, how we can know you, can respond to you, we can live our lives in light of it, and we can be blessed because of that. Lord, I pray for this time as we look at your word anew, as we seek to know you, that you speak to us through your word, that you show us what we need to see, that you teach us what we need to be taught, that you grow us in the ways in which we need to grow, that we truly can be your people. Lord, I pray for this time as we hit about the community gathering together and how they responded to who you are through the building of the tabernacle and through their contributions that we can learn how we respond in faith to what you've done for us. Lord, I just pray for everyone here. I pray for everyone who calls River Valley home. That no matter what is going on in their lives, no matter what they're dealing with, happy, sad, sorrowful, grief, hardships, stress, that in all of those occasions, the ups and downs, we can cling to you and find our peace and comfort and meaning in you and you alone. For we love you, Lord, because you first loved us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the cool things, I think, when we study the book of Exodus, or when you really study the whole Bible in its entirety, is that God uses people for his mission. He uses people to fulfill his commands. And we see that, I think, uh, kind of demonstrated again and again in the book of Exodus. That God has a command and then he uses people. He, hey, he says, hey, I'm going to make a people for myself or free them from slavery in Egypt. But how does he do it? Yes, he demonstrates his great power, but they have to follow. They have to lead. He raises up a leader to lead them out. He, he uh, provides ways in which they can escape, but they have to follow. He could have teleported them straight to the promised land, but yet he uses his people following him to know him and grow into who he wants them to be. It's a great thing we see how God uses his people to fill his commands. And the same thing we happen with this great promise of the tabernacle, that God is going to dwell among his people, that he will be their God and they will be his people, and he actually they will know his presence is with them. He could have just made it happen. He could have had the tabernacle descend from heaven, just like in the, when he comes back, when the new heavens and new earth happens, when the city descends. He could just have that descend from heaven, but he chooses not to. He actually chooses in using his people to build the house in which he's going to make his presence known. That we see this great thing that God uses his people for his mission. And I think we see that in Exodus chapter 35, through 36, we see people responding to the call to build the tabernacle. So here are your Bibles. I invite you to open up to chapter 35. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 35, verse 4, and we'll read through the first couple of verses in 36. 
So starting in chapter 4, it says this, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrance incense, and onyx stones, and stones for setting, for the ephod, and for the breastplate. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, its tents, its coverings, its hooks, its frames, its bars, its pillars, its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat, and the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all of its utensils and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light and with its utensils and its lamps and the oil for the light, and the altar of incense with its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with his grating of bronze, its poles, and all of his utensils. In the basin as it stands, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministry in the, in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for, of, for, of his sons for their service as priests. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and all of its service, and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tan ramskins or goatskins brought them. Everyone who made a contribution of silver, everyone who could made a could make a contribution of silver or bronze, brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use the skills spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastplate. And spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. <clears throat> All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work made the Lord, that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God and with skill and with intelligence, with knowledge and of all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, and cutting stones for setting, and carving wood, for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Ohoyab, the son of Ahizamech, of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen and by a weaver and by any sort, uh, any sort of workman or skilled designer. A Bezalel and Oholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Oholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. 
They were still bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of work in the, on sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, Take, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the con- contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were strained from bringing all, for the material they had was su- sufficient to do all the work and more. So we've got to remember when we read Exodus 35 and 36 where this takes place in the storyline. Now, you've been while we've been talking about this, how uh, uh, Israel was freed from slavery in Egypt by God, his mighty power, how he led them out through the signs and Moses was leading them, how he led them through a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, how he brought them to the Red Sea and they thought all hope was lost, but he separated and they walked through on dry ground, how they were brought to the wilderness and he provided for them with manna in the morning and quail in the evening and water from rocks and he, uh, he made them his people and they, he brought them to the Mount Sinai, this this mountain where his presence came down and he called Moses up and the elders and he spoke again and again with Moses and the elders. They received the Ten Commandments. They received the law code. They received the, build, the, the instructions for how to build this tabernacle. And then you have that whole little, let's not talk about, but they inquired about how they went to, off to the golden calf. And now Moses comes back down with the instructions on how to build a tabernacle anew. And he wants them to do this. And now they're going to get set to do it. And so we have this great movement. Now we're going to do it. So how do we do it? And that's where the story picks up in 35 and 36. How do they do it? Is the people respond to God's call and they do it. And they do it from the resources that they have. And so what can we pull from this? And I would offer this, that the, we see this, this uh, kind of characteristic that operates in God's people. And that's this, God's people give generously. When you look at that, that's what I see again and again when I can't can't help but see it. When you read through this account, you see the people responding to what God has done with them generously with all they have. They They want to be part of what God is doing. They want to be used by God. They want their contributions to go towards the building of the tabernacle. They're responding generously because God has saved them and he's going to be their God. He's going to be with them. And so they respond with all of of what they have. I believe this is not just applying to the Israelites back then, but we see it again and again with God's people all the way into the New Testament in light of what God has done for us. God's people give generously. We also have to recognize there is some disconnect with what's going on here in Exodus 35 and 36 with us. Uh, you can call this like there's some discontinuity as well as continuity, meaning there's things that don't directly follow, and there are also some principles that do directly follow. That's just fancy talk to saying, hey, we're not Israel, and we're not building a tabernacle. That's them. That's what was unique in their lives happening to them as they responded to God's call. That's the discontinuity, that this was a unique instance where there's going to make a unique structure that was going to move them through a desert where God's presence was going to dwell with them. That was unique. We're not doing that. But there is continuity with that story with us as well. 
That when you look back on this, yes, we're not Israel, but we are God's people. So yes, we're not a nation state like Israel was. We're not defined by ethnic boundaries. We actually are the people of God. Our, we, we expand into all nations and everywhere because that's who we are, the people of God now. Not, not confined to any one nation or particularly one place. But we're still the people of God, meaning we still respond to what God has done. And we respond in similar ways like Israel, but we respond as we seek to fulfill what God calls us to do now. Spread his gospel declare the glories of Jesus Christ, gather together to worship as the visible church so people can hear the gospel in their community. And so there is that continuity that we do respond and we do gather and we can still look at this principle of giving or this principle of generosity in their giving and how they respond to God and apply it to ourselves. You have to recognize that because some people want to take this straight to us, but yet we have to see what the principles are and take those principles and see how it applies in our lives now. When I read this, I see that truth that God's people give generously, and I also see these principles of giving that God kind of gives us in this text. I just want to take that little moment to take a society. It's like, <clears throat> I love talking about giving. Not. Why? I don't, know what, I don't know what it is with our society nowadays, but it's like the one thing, the taboo thing, well, there's probably several things now, but one of those taboo things that people don't like to talk about is what you do with your finances or what you do with your possessions. It's like you can't kind of mention that. We can't even talk about how, people, how much people make. And then some people get this idea that the church only wants to talk about money because the church is a money-making scheme. Well, that's not true here. I promise you that. That we talk about money, why? Because the scripture talks about money. We talk about material possessions, why? Because the scripture talks about it. Why does the scripture talk about it? Because God knows that if there's one idol in the human's life that can so easily trump him, it's our bank account. It's our material possessions. That we think this gives us security. That if we reach a certain number, if we have a certain number of toys, or we're kind of well off, we'll be all right. And that's what we drive for all the while not realizing that it's only in God that we receive those things ultimately. So the Bible talks about money. And so one of the great things of when we preach through a book of the Bible is that we don't skip over that many parts. And so we can't skip over when God talks about money as well. And so we see in Exodus 35 and 36 these principles that start bubbling up about how do the people of God give generously. One of the first things I notice is that this is a community command. This is for the community. When you read the text, it talks about how uh, Moses talks to the congregation. The gathering of the people is to the whole people. And so giving is actually always a community endeavor, which is so interesting because we, we like to think of it as a private decision. And I would say, no, it's not private. It's personal. And you don't have to broadcast it and you shouldn't broadcast it. But it's not private because it always impacts and influences the community. That the person's individual giving and contributions or even service all impact the community. And so how we give of our time, energy, and yes, even our finances, impacts the community in which we live. And so when we talk about giving, it's a community effort. The whole community is involved. The congregation's gathering around saying, we're doing this together. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
And so we also see it's not just a community effort, but it's a command given to the community. But it's such an interesting command. God commands the people to respond, but he commands the willing to respond. Sometimes when we think about commands, we think about there, like it's a straight command, do this with no kind of caveat. But when we read this text, God says, hey, those who are willing should be doing this. And so he's already talking to people who already been moved. He's talking to people who already have a changed heart. And he's saying, if that's you, then you listen and you follow this command that you're supposed to honor God with your wealth. And it's a principle found throughout the scriptures. Proverbs 3.9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with, with the first fruits of all your produce. This command that we honor God with what he has given us, allowed us to make. So God issues this command, respond to me through giving in the community. It's a command that expects people actually to be willing. God assumes they should be willing to give. So it's in community, it's a command, and it's also in that community aspect, you're making a contribution and it says that again and again, this contribution, this actually this idea of giving to a common fund or you're giving to a, a common goal. That means each member has a part to play. It's not just the community at large, but each, the community is made of each of those members who are responding to who God is. And so each one contributes what they have. Each one contributes what they can. And so by contributing, you actually respond as a community Together, you give to that common goal. You contribute to it. When I'm thinking about the church at large or here at River Valley, when you become a member uh, of our church, you, you sign a membership covenant, and it's kind of like four points about how you're going to re, uh, protect the testimony of the church and, and then uh, take care of the church. But two of the points include you share the responsibility of the church and you serve the ministry of the church. And that's getting to the idea that every person is contributing to the church in some form or fashion. As, that, as the community moves forward, it takes the individuals contributing towards that common goal, that common mission. And so this in community, it's a command, you're contributing towards this common goal. But one of the big things that's said again and again, it only comes from a changed heart. Yeah, at the very beginning... In verse 5, it says, Take from among the, uh, you a con contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. That God is commanding people is, if they have a generous heart, let them be part of contributing towards this mission. When you're talking about a generous heart, you're talking about something that is a form of gratitude. Why does someone have a generous heart? Because they are filled with gratitude for what they have received. And when you're talking about a person of God, having a generous heart is someone who knows who they are in Christ. They know all that they have received from God was given by God. And that they respond generously, that they actually live a life with like an open hand, knowing God has placed these resources, these talents, these gifts into my keeping, and I'm supposed to steward them well, but I live with an open hand. And if someone else has need of them, they can have it. If God calls me to use this, I'm not going to grasp it tightly, but I'm going to have the open hand with a generous heart and hope to be used by God as he wants to. It's one of the defining characteristics of a person that knows God is that their heart has been changed. It's actually generous. 
Actually, this is assuming that non-believers can't respond in this way. People who don't know God can't respond this way because most likely their heart is still clinging on to their possessions and what they own and won't think to give. I was reading through <clears throat> some people responding to this, uh, this chapter, and I came across a quote by an old uh, Scottish pastor, Robert Murray McChain, um, and he, uh, he was fearful of this tendency he saw in this congregation, that they were not as generous as he thought they should be. And he actually said this um, during a sermon. He says this, I fear, fear there are many hearing me who may know well that they are not Christians because they do not love to give. To give largely and liberally, not grudging at all, requires a new heart. An old heart would rather part with its lifeblood than its money. And then he gets right to the point and he says, Oh, my friends, enjoy money. Make the most of it. Give none of it away. Enjoy it quickly, for I can tell you, you will be beggars throughout eternity. Well, he wasn't really mincing words, was he? He's getting to that point where he saw a tendency in his congregation, his people, who he loved. And he reflected how you're responding with your possessions, with what you have, shows and questions whether you have been changed by Christ or not. That this giving requires a generous heart. And so it does no use, then you can say from the other end, it does no use to preach giving before people know Christ, is that they know Christ first, and then in response to who Christ is, comes a natural outworking, I want to be part of what God is doing in this world. I want to be part about how churches are growing. I want to be part in sending missionaries. I want to be part in the gospel going to the corners of the earth. I want to be a part of it because it comes from that changed heart. So giving requires that generous heart, but also requires not just a generous heart, a willing heart. At least four times through this, in verse uh, 21, 22, 26, 29, it says it again and again, those who had willing hearts, those who are willing, those who had their hearts stirred by the Spirit, and again and again, this language, they are the ones who brought their offerings, these free will offerings, to Moses to be used in building the tabernacle. That giving comes from that changed heart. That giving should never come from you being shamed, guilted, or pressured and, and uh, uh, leaned on or compelled to give. Because giving is that act of worship. Giving is that response of what God has done. And it is that personal decision as we come and we bring those things that those willing hearts are called to bring those things. And so it shouldn't come from that place of like, I feel guilty, I have to do it. If that's the case... I can firmly say, we don't want that giving. Because it's about your heart with God and responding to Him. We don't want someone to say, man, I feel guilty. You said you needed more volunteers than the kids. And so I'm going to go and mess with these kids. That's not helping anyone. In the same way, when you give stuff, when you're giving of your resources to the church. It's a, between you and God. Yes, it's in community because it impacts community, but it's a personal decision as you respond to who God is and how he's changed you. And so it should always be from that willing heart. 
And intentionally, we always try to speak of that when we talk about giving from that angle that is not under guilt. It's not from pressure. We're not twisting arms. When you become a member, we don't look at your bank account and say, you should be giving this much. We don't do that intentionally. Why? Because we believe it's an act of worship. And we talk about, because the Scripture talks about, and we talk about because we also believe how you give shows your maturity in Christ and how you're responding to Him, but it comes from that willing heart. It's not just those who are willing. It's also those who are able. If you look at verse 24, I love how it makes that, makes that distinction when it says, everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it to the Lord's contribution. Everyone who could make it. Realizing that there are some who are able. There are some able who, are, who can give tremendous amounts of time and energy, and there are some who are able to give tremendous amount of finances to make uh, God's mission move forward, and then there are some who are not. And that's just the facts of life and the culture we live in. And, that, and there are some in between that can give at those different labels, and that, uh, levels, I mean. And so what that means is that when we think about giving, when we think about us calling for those who are able, that if you're not able, you should be freed from every pressure or guilt that you, that, you, that you feel like you should be giving. Give what you're able to. Give what you can. Don't feel that guilt or pressure because it's caused to we give for you able. But it also calls, on the other side, too often people might just ignore it. And this is the call to say, hey, reflect, analyze. What are you able to bring to contribute to the mission of God? What are you able to contribute to pushing forward the gospel in this community and other communities? How are you able to respond? And so it's for those who are able. And so you have to evaluate where you are. And then finally, it's not only a in the community, it's not a command, just a command or contribution. It doesn't just come from generous hearts or willing hearts or for those who are able, but it is overwhelming. It should be overwhelming. When we read this account, one of the most amazing things is at the end of uh, in, in chapter 36, verse 6, when it's talking about what's happening. So they issued the command, they issued the call, people respond, they're bringing these free will offerings of all of these different items they have. If they have it, they're saying, take it. If they have the skill, they're saying, hey, I'll spin that wool for you. I'll make those designs for you. They're bringing all these things to the community of God to be used for the building of the tabernacle. And then at the end, what happens is the workmen say, hey, We've got enough. They go to Moses and say, we have enough, and yet they're still dropping stuff at my door. I don't know where to put it. What's going on? And so Moses actually has to issue a command to the people of God, stop. We have enough. And I just love the language there when he says this. And he says uh, in verse 6, So Moses gave the command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, that no man or woman do anything for more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from giving. They were restrained from giving. That they were responding so much to what God has done for them. They said, take it all. I have it. Give it. More than the community needed to do what God has called them to do. And so they had to be restrained. They had to be stopped. They had to be commanded, probably commanded, take some of this stuff back. We don't need it. And it's so 
weird to us, or maybe just me, who lives in this world. I, I know I'm a pastor, and it, seems, it can seem so self-serving when we talk about giving towards the mission of the church, but when we look around the church, it seems so counterculture to have to restrain someone from giving, whether it's time, energy, and money. Sadly, so often it's having to pull someone along in that process. Now, I am so thankful for this church, for this church has been a generous church. We sit in a building that most people thought we could never do because we're a generous church and we responded to the call of God that when we saw a need for a church in this community and we had this great piece of land that was just getting better by the year, the, the church responded. And so I'm so thankful for every single member of this church who gave faithfully to the mission of the church, who gives faithfully to the uh, mission of the church. And so I don't speak that, but I know and I see how so often ministries are floundering and have to beg, and you get so many year-of-the-ending notes from ministries you responded one time 10 years ago, you gave them some money, and now they want more money. And we see that, but they need resources. But the reality is that when the people of God, from joy, respond to what God has done in their lives, they almost have to be restrained the other way. They have to be told, hey, take a break. You don't have to volunteer at this event. They have to be told, hey, you can save something for something else and enjoy what God has blessed you with. You don't need to give it all. And that when the community responds in that way is really where you get to that point where they can say, we're good. Because the community is working together to do that, but it all comes from that response to who God is and what He's done for us. When I read this passage, I could not help but see how Paul reflected the same principles when he talked about giving in 2 Corinthians. That when you read 2 Corinthians, you get to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and ta Paul is talking about the giving, the contribution that these churches were making in Corinth and around that area. They were contributing to the helping other Christians who were in having experience in the famine back in, in Judea. And so they were, they were gathering up these resources, and they were sending it with Paul, sending it with other Christian workers. They were supporting the Christian mission. They were supporting the Christian uh, people. They were doing what God had called them to do. They were helping expand the church forward. They were supporting missionaries being sent out into other cities and, and declaring the gospel of God. And, and he uses the same principles we see here in Exodus 35 and 36 about how people should give. Bruce read part of this passage in 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 6, it says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound in you, so having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As is, has he, as is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying 
the needs of the saints, but also overflowing and many thanksgivings to God. And when you match, when you look at what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians, how well does it match how God's people respond to giving? From generous hearts, willingly, working as a community to spread the word of God, to, to, make, to, to, to do the mission that God has called them to do from a place where of responding to who God is and how he has saved them and is their God. And when I read Exodus, and I see these principles, and then I read the New Testament, particularly Paul and 2 Corinthians, I see these principles standing true for us. That if you are a Christian, you respond to what God has done for you. And so I urge everyone to honestly think of where you stand with God. What, you, what has God done for you? How has he moved in your life? Who is he to you? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you know the truth that God has saved you through his son. And that's only in light of this gospel, this good news, that while we were sinners apart from him, we were doomed to be separated from God forever. But God loved us in spite of our sin. And that when we were still in rebellion, he sent his son to live for us, the perfect life we could not live. He sent his love to die for us, the death we all deserve because we're rebels against our righteous God. And then he rose from the grave demonstrating what awaits us, the new life that now boils in our veins and what we wait for when he comes again. And that is what he's done for us. And if that is you, you know that you have been saved. You know that you have been changed. You know that a heart that used to be stone is now one of flesh that beats for God. And you know this is true and that is the gospel. And we respond from that, you see our glorious God and you respond with your life accordingly. And so you look at your life and you say, my goodness, God has given us so many principles on how we use and work in this world. He's given us principles how we interact with others and love others, how we serve others. And he's even given us these principles that we look to about how we manage our finances and we be generous and we apply them to our lives. As God has moved first, we, re, we look towards these as a response, as an act of worship, saying we're not our own anymore. We're to be used by God for his purposes. Join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for who you are, for how you love us, for how you move, for the truth of, of your word, that we can read it and we can understand it and we can respond to it. Lord, I just pray for everyone here that as we look at this topic that we can truly respond based on what you have done for us and how you loved us. That we can respond based on what the word teaches us and guides us. That we can know the glorious truth of your gospel and we can know the freedom it brings and we can walk in light of that in every part of life. Lord, I thank you so much for who you are and how you love us. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.